Um, but yeah, no, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for, thanks for joining us here. Um, yeah, we're going to go into another, another testimony. Um, you know, again, our theme is, is sacred intersection. So we're talking about those moments where, where God intervenes in our everyday life. And, um, you know, I just want to take a moment to encourage you. We've done a, a couple already, but if you've missed Jenny Chan's or, or Emily uh, Molinari's testimonies to go back and listen to them, um, they're just so powerful. And, you know, it, it really is the highlight of our year is to do these testimony series. Uh, for Emily's, it is not on YouTube just due to some of the, the content of it. Um, but you can, you can request uh, the recording from, from either emailing Liz or um, the church info email. <clears throat> but today we're going to hear from Stephanus, and I'm going to butcher his name, but Kurawan, Kurawan. Kurawan, something. I, he, he shortens it in his email to KWN, which in English, if there's no vowels, you just can't do anything with it. So I'm assuming that they just admit that like white folk can't do anything. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find out like in Malaysia, it's actually the same as Smith. It's just everyone has it. Um, but yes, I'm, I, I, my French teacher could also tell you that while I can read and write languages with, with some level of competency, uh, my tongue was not built for it. Um, my side note, my French teacher promised, made me promise to never take the French language ever again. Um, <laughs> after he agreed to pass me. So, <clears throat> but yeah, while a relatively newcomer, you'll, you'll recognize Stephanus as a member of the worship team. He was up here playing uh, the bass this morning. And so, yeah, we're going to just open in prayer and, and Stephanus can come on up. So Lord, we just give you this time. Lord, we give you our our words, we give you our focus, we give you just everything that we have, because Lord, all that we have comes from you. And so, Lord, we just uh, give you this testimony of Stephanus and just ask that you speak through it, Lord. Sometimes these are little pieces of our lives, but Lord, you've moved in such powerful ways. And so, Lord, we just acknowledge your sovereignty and just your faithfulness to us in, in every moment. Amen. Okay, good morning. Um, one note, my last name is Kurniawan. I know that's a mouthful, that's okay. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I, I came to Canada last year, so it's been about a year. I came with my wife. She's over there. Um, we're currently expecting, gonna be due in September. And our little one, she's downstairs. She's nine, Scarlett. And my wife's Irina. Um, so my testimony is gonna be about how God never gives up on me. And how, what he cares the most is my relationship with him. That it's the journey not the end goal. So a bit of a background, I grew up in Indonesia. I was in Indonesia until I was 18, and then I went to Beijing for 15 years. So 18 to 33, I was in Beijing. My adulthood was in Beijing, and then I went back to Indonesia um, six months before COVID started, in there for three years, and now here I am. 
So a little bit about Indonesia. We have five religions. Uh, we got Christian, Catholics, Hindu, Muslim, which of course the biggest one, and um, Hindu. So growing up, I knew about God all around. You just like, well, which one is the right one? Um, being a Chinese descent, I grew up in Indonesia. I went to private schools. Um, and in private schools, because there's five religions, you have to teach religion in Indonesia. It's not allowed to not to. So if I go to public school, chances are they change it now. But at that time growing up, they would taught you everything about you know Muslim and everything. So yes, that's why you got to go to private schools and everything. And they're like, all right, you're just going to chances for the Chinese, you're either taking it or Catholic or Christians. <laughs> Not much choice. Um, I grew up to Sunday, I went to Sunday school a lot growing up um, because my, my aunts from my dad's side, they were all Sunday school teachers. They, I think some of them were also elders. So it just kind of happened naturally. And for a while, life was good. It was great, you know. Um, but comes age about, it's around eight to 10, I guess. I stopped going to Sunday school, and I decided I don't want to have anything to do with God. And I was like, you are not real, because this is what happened. Um, you see, growing up Chinese, there are certain family mottos, traditions that you kind of just put into it. For my dad's case, he lost his dad when he was 11. Being the firstborn that he is, everything just falls naturally on him. He has to pick up all the slacks and just start providing for his family. So he finished high school. He's the firstborn of six children. And that was about it education-wise for him. He started working right away. He put his sisters to college. He got two younger brothers that he paid for their wedding and for their house. So he basically take care of everything. He got married the last. Now, if you know, in Chinese culture, that's actually like kind of like, what on earth is going on? Why is that happening? So the thing is, my dad's side of the family got so used of him being, I would say, their workhorse. Because he provided for them all the time. Until he got married, he has his own family. And things change because you need to start when you're married and like, you know, you have your own family, you need to start prioritizing your um, your family, your wife and your daughter and your children. And that's when my extended family from my dad's side didn't like it. They were not happy. And how they were doing it is by treating my mom differently. They would treat him, they would treat her well in front of my dad. When he's gone though, they didn't abuse her, but they, well, I guess they could say, we could say they abuse her emotionally not physically, but they would make her known, you're not welcomed, you're not part of this family. This can only go so long until my mom had it. And they treated me the same and my brother. We were just too small to notice that. So at about age, between age to 10, my idea of a perfect world came crumbling down. Because my mom's had it, she took me and my brother away. That's when I realized, oh, Divorce is real possibility happening. This is possibly going to happen. 
And so I found out about all of this, and then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those guys, the one who took me to Sunday school, who said all the nice things every Sunday? And I was like, yeah, nope, not gonna do this anymore. Nope, no way. So from then on, until high school, high school first year, I only go to church on two occasions, Christmas and Easter, because they made us to. <laughs> Otherwise, we, I was just like, no way. Um, and then, you know, it, it goes on like that. Until I get to high school, I wasn't a very good student. I w my grades were just failing. I was not about to make it from, I think in here, it would be year 10 to year 11, flat out. And in my mind at that time, if you remember, being, again, <laughs> being Asian, being a, the, the Asian me, I would be like, oh no, I'm not gonna make it to grade 11. My life is over. Everything just fails. I'm not gonna succeed into anything because I failed this. It got so strong to a point, I was like, all right, let's test if you are real or not, God. I'll be like, help me pass, and I'll go to church. <laughs> and he did. I passed by three points, made it to grade 11. It was like, and then I'm like, now I have to go to church. Now, back then, the only church I knew was, unfortunately, the church that my aunts went to. So I'm like, no, let's not do this. And being in a Christian school, uh, in every school, you need to choose extracurricular activities, right? I, I looked around, I need to choose one. Being a Christian school, they have prayer meetings. I'm like, all right, God, let's, let's do this. This is an hour and a half. Church on Sunday, an hour and a half. I'm doing this, okay? I'm still committing my time to you, but we're doing this. And that was actually the start of my journey rediscovering God. Because I remember my first Sunday, not sorry, not my first Sunday, the first prayer meeting, I walked in. The teacher, she was very charismatic. She is very strong in the spirit, which freaked me out right away. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I know she's not doing drugs, but what is going on here? Why is she ridiculously cheerful, and why is she calling little things like God's miracles? Like, okay. But through that process of a whole year, God softened my heart again, and he showed me that he is still alive, and he's still working things on. Because you've got to remember, when I was eight or nine, that's it. For me, that was the whole thing that happened in the Bible 2,000 years ago, done. Whatever it is now, it's just not working. So, you know, and that's what happens. Um, she believed in miracles. Like, I think after a few months in there, or almost a year, that's when I rededicated my life to God. And it's sort of just going from there. From then on, um, God took me on, on crazy adventures. Um, went to China, which I didn't even want to in the first place was for one year and then it became 15 years. And from then on, he took me to my first mission trip to a small city in China, back then it's called Dalian. And he took me to a mission trip to Africa, my first one as well, it was a city in Africa. Uh, it was a country, it's called Liberia. 
at that time when I went, they just finished their, their civil war. So I got out of the airport, I could see buildings still black, bullet holes and smoke. So I was like, okay, what am I doing here? To make it even worse, um, I did not understand their accent at that time. Because um, Liberians have a very um, different English accent, so I was like, is this English or am I the only one not understanding things? <laughs> um, but over there, again, God worked it through me. He did, I think it's one of the quirkiest, and I guess I have to mention it. Um, we went to the beach in that mission trip. I jumped to the sea without thinking. My glasses are still on. I only brought one pair. <laughs> it literally, it started drifting away. I'm like, great, this is off. I can't see anybody's face. I can't even see the words on that screen, okay? <laughs> um, you know, I was like, I thought to my boss, Jordan, we're in trouble. I'm not gonna be able to see anything. This is day two, we still got eight more days, okay? <laughs> and God brought it up, literally. The same glasses, washed up ashore, and he put it in a sense like this, so it would reflect the sunlight. And my, you know, my mind's I'm like, okay, here it is. You're not done yet. Like, okay. <laughs> so through all of this, I get to have discussions with God or even challenge God. Because at some point also in my life, I was like, God, is there actually going to be somebody I could date that's going to be like, I want this and this and this and that. <laughs> and I was like, ah, this is not going to happen. I'm just going to start dating, and then he was like, no, she, so God showed me somebody that would meet my standard, and then after that, I met my wife a year later. So there was a whole through process that God's working on it. So my God, with, through all of this, has been very personal. It's how he talked to me, or he reached out to me, just as the perfect moment when he knows I'm gonna be like, and then he came in, you know, but he knows I need to figure out, I need to learn it. And there were days like, you know, the answers was quick. It was just right away. On this instance, this is the day when God saved my family. So if you remember, back to, because of all the things that happened, my families are, they know there's a God, but they're also like, there's this big chasm of pain that just no way to reach. I told God, God, there's no way I can evangelize to my brother or my mom or my dad. I just don't know how. You gotta do it. And God did it starting with my brother. You see, my brother is three years younger than me. He has a very, very strong personality and he's good at making his points. So my parents kind of just like, okay, fine. But they could, see, so one time my brother went to church in Indonesia, and I don't know what they were talking on that Sunday, but he liked it. And out of the blue, he also filled up that connect card that they had. He got contacted, and then he joined one of the small group. And from then on, the snowball just started rolling. And then my parents see the changes in him. They went to the church that he went to, and yeah, that was that. So God saved them. But I did not know for sure if they were saved or not. But at that point, I was like, all right, it should be okay. At least they know God now. They're kind of on the track. 
And then came 2019, no, 2020, we got COVID, Delta variant. My family got it. My mom, my brother, my dad. Um, unfortunately, my dad passed away because of COVID. It was heartbreaking to see him. Um, he has never been hospitalized his whole life. He's very healthy. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink. You know, he doesn't do, he's very healthy. He takes care of himself. But seeing him in the ICU on the ventilator, that was just rough. But when he passed away, I, on the way, like, because everything's happening very fast. We buried him within 48 hours because of the whole COVID rules and everything. One question I kept asking God, am I going to see him in heaven? Is he saved or is he just attending church? Is he saved or not? And this is, I'm going to pause for a bit and I'm going to give you a background story. Um, my mom and my dad are the kind of people that would save for their children. Everything for their children. They work on Sundays. They rarely take breaks, you know. But after we all got into college, like I got my own life and my brothers as well, things are a bit okay for them. Um, one time, they went on a pilgrimage tour to Israel. Um, the problem was, well, the, the miracle is they got into Israel. You see, at that time, Indonesia being the Muslim country that it is, anytime something's going between, something happened between Israel and Palestine, everybody would be out in the streets and supporting the Palestines. Eventually, Israel got fed up. Okay, we're not gonna have any tourist visa for Indonesians anymore. That's it. They changed the rule now. But that time when my mom and my dad were on the flight going to Israel, the tour leader was figuring it out. Are we gonna get in or are we just gonna land it in Egypt? They got in, okay. So my mom told me that and I was like, okay, cool, great. That was a few years before 2020. Came 2020 when I was asking my, when I was asking God, am I gonna see my dad in heaven? I was in the car with my mom. We're gonna check the cemetery plot to get the land and like you know bury him. My mom was like, oh here look, here's a picture of your dad being baptized in the Jordan River. At that moment, I knew the Holy Spirit just gave a nudge. Yeah, you will, because she never showed that one. And it was still in my head. I was like, am I gonna see him? Am I gonna see him or not? So that's when he came quickly through affirmation. And then after that, after we buried him and everything, that's when I'm like, again, okay, God, you showed me I'm gonna see him in heaven. But here's the question, why did he have to die? You could heal him, but why? And he gave closure to me on this and to my mom. On the first with my mom, um, he showed her the verses when Jesus was praying in the garden and how the Holy Spirit talked to my mom and I knew it was personally to my mom because when she told me about it, I was like, oh, that's just for you. I mean, not, not in a bad way, but I know that's personal tailored to her specifically because when my mom said that, like, I had to send my son to die, trust in me and my plan that I have things handled. And I could tell from my mom's voice, she had that peace from God. So when it comes to me, God answered it. Uh, 
I called him because if he lives, if my dad lived on, it will be very hard. Because they were trying all sorts of medications and they said if he lives, he would need life support. And this is gonna be for a guy who's never been hospitalized, who's always very healthy. He would even, even when he gets sick, he would just be like, oh, I will just pass away in a couple of days. <laughs> so if he continues on, and God said, because I love him so much, being on life support would be too painful for him. That's why I took him home. I love him too much to see him suffer. Okay. And then lastly, I was like, but I have not given anything back yet to them. I haven't provided anything money-wise or, or supporting and anything. I haven't done anything to them. And you took him. And then God told me, you know, in the last two years, your parents has gone to three places. He's gone to Israel, he's gone to China, and he's gone to Japan. Japan's my bucket list. So I was like, how did they get to go there first? And I'm not. Like, what is going on here? And in all these three trips, somebody paid for them. They're only out the money if they need to eat over there. That's it. Their hotels, their flights, all got taken care of. And that's when God nudged me. I took care of them. I'm taking care of them. They're not out in the streets. They are fine. They're semi-retired now. They don't go to work like you did was growing up. I was like, oh, okay. And God said, it's because I do it, not you. <laughs> if you get to do it, you're going to say it's you. But it's me. That's when I got like, okay, God, fair enough. So through all this, I know that I have a good God. I have a good father. Because through everything, like my situation can suck at times, big time. <laughs> but it does not change who God is. It doesn't change his character. It doesn't change his faithfulness. What it will change is me, my understanding of him how I get to know him more. Because when I die, what God is going to get is my character. He gets to spend time with me, right? So that's why it's more important for him. I get to know him and be more like him instead of, you know, like everything else. He cares that the most. So that's, in short, that's what it is. Um, there's one psalm that struck me because when we moved to Canada, there was a period where, again, I've gone to, <laughs> I've gone through huge depression. At one point, I felt I was not the boat in the storm anymore. I was lesser than that. I was the mouse in that boat in the storm. <laughs> and one time, I was just reading the Bible, and then God came to me and He said, "I got you." He He talked to me to um, Psalm six. And it was through a translation I rarely, I usually don't read it through um, the message. But somehow, every part of it um, struck a nerve, or like hits everything. Please, God, no more yelling. No more trips to the woodshed. Treat me nice for a change. I'm so starved for affection. <laughs> Can't you see I'm black and blue, beaten up badly in bones and soul? God, how long will it take for you to let up? When will it stop? When will a lifeline comes true. And the next verse, break in God and break up this fight. If you love me at all, get me out of here. <laughs> I'm no good to you, dad, am I? 
I can't sing in your choir if I'm buried in some tomb. I was like, God, I'm so fed up with this. I want to turn my face from you, but I know there's no point because I know you're the only God. So do something. I'm tired of all of this, so tired. My bed has been floating 40 days and nights. On the flood of my tears, my mattress is soaked, soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black holes. Nearly blind, I squint and grope. Get out of here, you devil's crew. At last, God has heard my sobs. My requests have all been granted. My prayers are answered. Cowards, my enemies, disappear. Disgrace, they turn tail and run. Somehow, after, all, after reading this one, um, I just felt God's presence. And that's when I knew God came in again, right at the moment when I needed, before I just flip over or something, and he would always sustain me and strengthen me in there. So that's my testimony. I know the relationship with God is a journey, but I know I could always trust in him and count on him. Doesn't matter the situation. Thank you, Stephanus. That's awesome. It's interesting. My uh, my devotion this morning was Psalm six, the message version. So I'm just sitting there going like, God, you are so cool. <laughs> that is just so much fun. You know, there's a couple themes. Um, well, there's a bunch of themes we could pull out of Stephanus's testimony, but I really want to focus on that theme of just God's pursuit of us. You know, God never gives up on us. He is, he is faithful in his pursuit. You know, we talk about God running after us, you know, in, in what we sang this morning. And, and as we were singing it this morning, I was sitting there going like, why isn't it sprint? Like, you can run faster. We call it sprinting. And then like almost immediately, it's like, well, but sprinting has this very short distance thing. He runs because he's going really fast and he's going to do it as long as needed. And... You know, these sacred intersections where God comes into our lives, they occur, they occur because he is pursuing us. You know, most of these testimonies come around a couple moments, but, but really God is in this moment and he's in every other moment of our lives. So, you know, this series isn't about when God acts so much as when we actually recognize him acting. And we acknowledge how much work he is doing. We stop and see that whatever he's been doing in the background has now come to the front and center of the stage. And usually it is in a dramatic moment. Usually it's, you know, a, a Damascus road scene. You know, I was, I was chuckling in my head. You know, Stephanus lost his glasses, so he was literally blind. And God blinded him and then brought it back. So, perfect. There's your Damascus. It happened in a Liberian beach. But God comes in our darkest moments. Or, or, or he brings this great moment of epiphany. But there is this daily and constant rhythm to God. You know, how many of us as kids, maybe even teenagers, truly understand how much our parents loved us? And how much work it was to raise, care, play, pray, support us in all those years. But yet every one of us can also name a moment, or hopefully many, many moments, 
where your parents' love became very real. They did something that made you get it, where it clicked. And, it, and it's like this with God. He's loving on us the whole time. He's pouring into our lives. But sometimes it's only in hindsight and key moments that we get that clarity. We get that vision to see what is being done for us. And like all good children, what I love about Stephanus' testimony is how he mentioned negotiating with God along the way. You know, it's, it's really a true sign of a father's love to allow us, his children, to try and make our own plans in the midst of his perfect plan. You know, a biblical example of this was the patriarch himself, Jacob. So in, you know, Genesis 28... We're, we're going to read the verse here, but we pick up Jacob's story right after he has stolen his brother Esau's birthright. And then he's fleeing his brother's wrath because he's, you know, pissed. And he's going to go stay with his uncle Laban. And along that trip, Jacob sees a famous vision of the stairway to heaven. Inspires one of the greatest rock songs ever written. But then he wakes up. <laughs> So in verse 16, we're going to pick up. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, The Lord is certainly in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob got up early in the morning, took the stone that he had placed as a support for his head, and set it up as a memorial stone, then poured oil on its top. Then he named the place Bethel, but previously the name of the city had been Luz. And then in verse 20, we're going to pick up kind of the focus of our passage. Then Jacob also made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me on this journey that I take and give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a memorial stone, will be God's house. And of everything that you give me, I will assuredly give a tenth to you. If. What a powerful but very short word. It's only two letters, but it gives you every possibility to change the parameters to your desires. We see in these verses a Jacob that is not yet fully committed to God. I mean, look at those first verses. The Lord is certainly in this place. He's awesome. But then if. Jacob knows his father's faith. He knows his grandfather's faith. But knowing and experiencing are two very different things. And in very classic Jacobian fashion, he cages his bets. And he vows to follow God. But if God takes care of him and blesses him. You know, and how often do we have this mindset? You know, we could probably do an entire sermon series on the word if. God, I will follow you if you make my life great and better. God, if you give to me blessings and money, then I will give back out of my access to you. Now, God lets us have these negotiations. He lets us have these kind of petty moments because he's focused on that perfect plan for you. He's focused not on your indecision or your inconsistency. He's focused on eternity and love. 
And I'm not saying God's not going to call out some of those negotiations and you're not going to have to deal with them. But for the sake of the big picture, God is willing to be the bigger man. He is the father. God is going to guide us away from anything that is going to hurt us. But he also has that perfect understanding of the future. And I believe that there are a multitude of ways that he can get us there. So yes, he's not worried about negotiating over an exam because what was promised to him was time spent with him. He wasn't worried when it changed from a church service to a prayer meeting because what was promised was time spent with him. And, and this is his greatest desire. This is, this is a crazy fact and one that really should blow our collective minds on a daily basis. God desires so much to spend time with us, with you, with me. The whole Bible is a story about God fixing our mistakes so that he can spend time with us. So that we can come into his presence and be close to him. The one time that we were not separated from God by sin is in the Garden of Eden. So you have God. He's got nothing to do because we haven't sinned yet. We're not causing problems. I don't know if there's nothing, but less. Maybe there's less. I don't know. But what does God do with that time? He, he can do anything he wants. He's just created the world. I mean, he can go create new ones. I mean, it's like a giant Minecraft game for him. He can do whatever he wants. And what's he do? He spends time with Adam. He goes for a walk with him, or walks, plural. plural. He lets Adam name the animals and enjoys his creation. He enjoys Adam coming up with names for animals. He's a father. He spends time with his children. And it's kind of very easy to actually get a little bit of an ego, a little bit of a pride about the fact that God set us apart in creation. It's, it's easy to succumb to that idea that, you know, we're kind of lords of creation with power over all else on this earth. And yes, while there's some biblical truth in there, you know, we need to be very careful what we sign up for because it's not pride that should fill us due to our special nature but a humbleness that we are put in charge of so much. You know, as, as humans, we love power and control. But look how God demonstrates his ultimate power and control to us. It's with love and mercy. So it's a fearful charge from God to have power and faith and have to balance those. And, you know, what have we done that God would make us special creation. That he would send his own son in pain, shame, and agony to the cross for you or for me. Nothing. We live on the mercy and the grace of God. Like kids, we need him to feed us, clothe us, and tell us what to do when we're bored. But we love being special. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love being doted on? and loved. But because God loves us, we are also expected to love on others. And because God shows mercy to us, we are to show mercy to others. It's, a, it's an easy hypocrisy to fall into. And unfortunately, it's a hypocrisy that kills the church and kills our witness to the world. 
you know, to quote Stephanus when he was quoted with the hurt and the reality of his aunt's hypocrisy, I stopped going to church and I didn't want anything to do with God from then on. He didn't stop that church. He didn't stop talking to his aunts. He stopped talking to God. And this is the power of our lives over others. This is the fearsome responsibility that we have from the moment we say that we are followers of Christ, that we are Christian. Once we make that declaration, we are judged by the standards of our leader. If we're going to use his name to describe ourselves, then we had better look something like what he did. You know, for example, if someone says that they do CrossFit, but they only go on Easter and Christmas, does that count? <laughs> what about if they go to the gym weekly, but just watch everyone else work out? It's good enough to be there, right? What if they like the idea of CrossFit, but it doesn't really work for their personal beliefs to work out their arms, so they only do the leg portion, <laughs> right? I mean, what if it's like, oh, okay, I'll do the workouts, but I'm not going to put any weights on them so that I'm just kind of, you know, just doing the bare minimum. Does all of that count as being CrossFit? The exemption of one key piece means that you're not believing in the whole. Our faith is not one of ease or custom fit. It's personal and our walks are unique, but we don't get to pick when and where we get to apply our faith. To look at Stephanus' aunts, we don't get to teach at Sunday school and then be the opposite behind closed doors. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, it might just be better not to tell anybody I'm Christian. But you think about that for a couple seconds, you know, what a flawed answer. It's convenient to us because it means that we don't have to change. But how much do you truly love something or someone if you're unwilling to declare that you do? We should be passionate about our faith. And yes, it's scary to admit our faith at times. And once we say we're Christian, there is a standard that we're held to. But God is also with us and beside us. And remember, he has that perfect plan that he is moving us towards. But that perfect plan does not always have to seem perfect to us. You know, Stephanus lost his dad to COVID, a man that had worked hard to provide for his entire family and then never got to enjoy those years of dotage. But Stephanus' testimony again shows God's love for us. God doesn't mind answering questions. He doesn't mind when we ask him why in our pain and our hurt. You know, we see in the book of Job a very similar situation. Job is crying out to God in his pain, and God answers. A sacred intersection where God comes and speaks with Job about that situation. God is patient. He understands us, and he knows that we ask these questions in our pain and our limited understanding. Why does death hurt us? It's because we're not intended for death. It's our sin that led to this situation where we feel the sin of the sting of death and the loss of those that we love. God doesn't mind that we don't understand. 
He doesn't mind that we have questions, but he does ask us to obey. And he does ask us not to question his character or to doubt his plans. It's hard. But we have to believe that all of God's plans are good and that there is meaning there. We don't know the whole picture, but luckily for Stephanus, God gave a glimpse of understanding to ease his pain. How amazing is that? God doesn't have to explain anything. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. But yet he hears us ask, and he answers, and he eases our pain, and he also uses it for teaching. He takes every moment of our lives, and he turns it to good. So if we are willing, and if we are ready, God wants to have that daily sacred intersection in your life. You know, he wants to come and meet you where you're at and work with you in your life. Every problem, every situation, he wants to meet you there and work with you. He's already doing it, but he can do so much more when our faith enables him. These intersections are moments where God acted because we weren't. But if we disciple ourselves to his ways, then these moments become greater. God wants to spend time with you. Don't ever forget. It's never about you coming to church. It's not about you singing loudly in worship. It's not about your giving. It's not about your serving. It's about you inviting him into your life. All aspects of your life. And asking him to work and grow in you. Change us. So that each day we look more and more like your son. The one we follow. The one we name ourselves after. When we declare that we are Christian. So lastly, I just want to leave you with an if from God, a challenge for all of us. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. Lord, we just thank you this morning for just the powerful things that you are doing in this church and lives. Speak into even more details. So Lord, show us. It's not an easy thing for us to do, but Lord, show us how to bring you into more and more of what we are living through. Lord, show us how to bring you into our finances, to bring you into our doubts, to bring you into our fears, to bring you into our workplace, to bring you into everything. Lord, you are with us at all times. And Lord, we seek to have the discipline to be praying to you at all times as well. Lord, that our lives would become one prayer, one witness 
of how great you are and how good you are in our lives. Lord, let us never miss the small moments of goodness, Lord. Even just the, you know, sometimes just the consistency of the paychecks, the, just the, the one thing we don't think about for some of us, Lord. What a glory and amazing testament that is, Lord, to how good you are to us. And Lord, as we as a church seek a new home, Lord, we don't like the situation. We don't even understand all the details of the situation. But Lord, we know that you are good. We know that your plan is good. And we know that you have great plans for this church. And Lord, wherever we go, Lord, you are there with us. And Lord, we just seek your presence. Lord, we, we seek a place to raise worship to you, to raise prayer to you. But Lord, most of all, we seek you. And so Lord, if your presence is there and there, your presence is silence, we will sit there and just hear the silence, Lord, because that is good, Lord. So Lord, we just, um, yeah, lift this time before you and just ask, Lord, that you move in us, move in this church. Lord, show us how to dig in, to pray, to meet you, because we know you are already here. Yeah, God is worthy of our song. He's always pursuing us. And I love the fact that uh, um, Alex just mentioned uh, God is pursuing us. God is always, he's running after us. He's always, he's always there for us. But we don't see it. We, sometimes you have our, our eyes just blinded by our own sin and by our own struggles. We don't see it. We, we, f we feel like he's, he's far away. But we know Jesus, one of the names that is um, being given is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's, that's his, his, his um, go-to name, I think. And think about that. Reflect on that. God is with us even in our, in our struggles, even in when we are negotiating. Uh, even when, our, when we feel blinded by all kinds of things that are happening in our lives. And this testimony with Stephanus, uh, Stephanus Kuniawan, you know, he, that's great name, great name. <laughs> and uh, Kuniawan, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, taken aback by how, how good God is pursuing us even even when we negotiate even when we're scoundrels you know just just you know saying all kinds of uh bargaining sessions with him and he still is pursuing us and i just love that testimony telling us again giving an affirmation about how good god is pursuing us and i think about uh the, the scripture that uh, Alex mentioned about how how he, he used uh, the story of Jacob, and again that guy is a scoundrel. I mean, he if you read it about his life, it says he's he's a, just a bad guy, and still God pursued him and gave him blessing. So God is good that we can affirm. So let us remember that. Let us pray, Father God. You are good, always good to us. And may we re remember that even when we are struggling and we can't see, help us to just rediscover you, to 
see with eyes of faith once again, even in our struggles, even in our darkest moment. Perhaps you would give us a Damascus moment where we, would, where we could see you again, working, working behind the scenes, loving us, even through our darkest times, loving us even when we and pursuing us even when we, when we negotiate and when we say all kinds of crazy things, and uh, and bargain with you, and you're still with us. And we see that in, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us so much that He came and become like one of us. And even Jesus Himself uh, had those bargaining moments. God, if You would take this cup away. Uh, Father, if You would take this cup away from me. And, and yet, you, are, you were with Jesus throughout His suffering on the cross. And so help us to turn our eyes upon you, to look full in your wonderful face, and to see you when we, when in our darkest moments. So be with us as we depart from you. Help us to think about how you are with us, all the way pursuing us, loving us in every moment of our lives. So dismiss your people now. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.